the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our gospel proclamation comes from the epistle of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that I just finished reading for you and serves the basis of our theme for this fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. It's not foolish, it's glorious. A wiser man than me once said, communication means my inference matches your implication. In other words, what's in my head is in your head when we communicate. CJ and Simeon are the greatest example of this I have ever seen. Back in the days when we would regularly attend Eustace High basketball games, we got to see CJ and Simeon in action as the starting guards on a team that was a game away from going to the state championship that year. They lost a tight game to American Heritage that could easily have gone their way had their superstar not had the game of his life and pulled out the squeaker win. That team went unchallenged from there on out winning the state championship handily. So I know Simeon and CJ were co-captains of a state championship quality team. What was amazing is how they communicated with each other on the court. Whatever was in CJ's head was clearly in Simeon's head as well. They never said a word, but very subtle glances, movement on the court, 
an almost imperceptible body language communicated where each other needed to be on any given play, making it impossible for the defense to stop them or anticipate their coordinated movements. It was a thing of beauty that made the price of a year-long booster pass totally worth it. It's also a rarity in our culture today to have communication that effective that leads to that kind of success. So when you have it, cherish it. When you don't, find a way to get it because you won't regret it. Today, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us a new kind of communication that belongs only to what the world would consider foolish, scandalous, weak, and of no account. Now, this should not have surprised the Jews of Paul's day. After all, they have the precedent of the Old Testament. Have you ever heard of Gideon? A warrior judge in the book of Judges that was considered a pathetic leader on all accounts for the people of God? Gideon was, by his own account, in the weakest clan in Manasseh and the least in his father's house. And as if to drive that point home, God would use this weak little man to conquer an overwhelmingly superior army of the Midianites with tens of thousands of soldiers with an underwhelming force of 300 Hebrews. Everyone that knows this story knows that they won. But not because they used surprise tactics. Not because they basically invented the Molotov cocktail. And not because they were like the Greek 300 at Thermopylae. No, it was because of one simple reality promised from God who said, I will be with you. But if the Jews were not familiar with that history, everyone knew about little David that slew the giant Goliath with his own sword after taking him down with a slingshot and a rock. They would also know that David prophesied exactly how he would do it, saying, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And that's not it. Hebrew school and their local rabbi would expect them to know about the good kings that ruled with God as their source and guide, and the kings that worshipped other gods would fail miserably. They knew about the humble prophets like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, and Jonah, who had little status in the world and were even forced into more difficult circumstances, living in such a way we would consider unacceptable today as people of God, but doing it because God was with them. The Jews of Paul's day would certainly know all of this, which matches perfectly with how God lifts up the poor and downtrodden to humble those who would make themselves higher than God. It's their very identity as the people of God. They were the small little nation with enemies all around that was always preserved and protected by God from dying out. To this day, We still have that hope no matter what. 
may happen to the people of God. A remnant will be preserved to keep the gospel alive in this world. So, when Paul tells them this, it should not have fallen on the deaf ears that it did. What had been was still not enough for them. They still needed a sign. As far as God was concerned, the only sign they needed hung on the cross, proving his love for them with his own son's life in a place of theirs and ours to this day. The Greeks aren't much better. Just look at how smart they are with amazing philosophers like Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle. Their philosophical thinking has formed the very basis of Western thought and culture to this day. When Marcy and I taught the boys in homeschool in Jacksonville, we still used Socratic discussion to help them learn from the great book's curriculum. But in Paul's day, he encountered an entire think tank on the Areopagus, or Mars Hill, as the Romans referred to it, that knew nothing of Christ Jesus. Magi from the East knew, but all their study of Persian culture never revealed this to the Greeks in Paul's day. Only Paul told them what they needed to know about the absolute truth of the world found only in Christ, who was with Paul. It's hard to get the world to understand this. And frankly speaking, according to Paul, we shouldn't even try. After all, being wise does not help you know the one true God. But telling them who Jesus is, does. Letting them know who the true author and perfecter of our faith is, does. Bringing the weak and their faith into a closer relationship with Jesus, does. Oh, we can certainly attend all the evangelism conferences that will give us the demographic info and the techniques to making our community more inviting to the demographic that is least involved in the church. But again, that alone does nothing without the work of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of the truth of God's word. Just this year in religion, I realized that I was not helping the students with bad grades, but simply letting them suffer the consequences of their poor grade with the encouragement to try harder next time. I realized, with some counsel by people much smarter than me, that we're not applying the gospel to the classroom. So instead of telling them to try harder, I gave them paths to redemption through the extra credit, rewarding them with free time when they worked well as a class, and the change this year for teaching has been nothing less than breathtaking. More baptisms than I've ever had in years past. More kids that are not members of this church being confirmed in the faith. And for me, I love this class as much, if not more, than any class I've taught in the last 14 years. Because their response to the gospel is inquisitive, focused, and joyful. All because I realized we can be with them as students, just like God is with us. 
It only took me 22 years in the ministry to figure this out. But that's exactly why we approach life with a learner's heart, no matter how much we think we know. Truly, the weakness of God is stronger than the most powerful of men. Now, if you consider this truth from Paul today for just a moment, you realize this is a troubling statement, and you might even ask yourself, is God in some certain way actually weak? Isaiah 55, 8-9 might help clarify this, which says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Too often, we want to be wise, powerful, and well-born in the church, like the world defines it. All this can manifest in many ways. Our worship can reflect the entertainment world. Our fellowship can reflect a social club atmosphere rather than devotion to God's word. And our preaching can become motivational, political, and social justice oriented rather than proclaim the gospel through the inspired and inerrant word of God. And that unscriptural orientation misses what God is doing in the world and always has done. God takes what the world despises as weak, unwise, and low-born, and he reckons it as the very embodiment of his glory. We need look no further than the cross, which was nothing but an instrument of pain and suffering to execute the most awful death possible on those that would not submit to the authority and law of the Roman Empire. So God took that cross, sacrificed his son on it, to make satisfaction for the sins we committed against him. And now we wear it as a reminder that he freed us from the sin of the devil, the world, and ourselves with it. Oh, what folly, how low-born, how foolish to the powerful overlords of this world. But to us who know our flaws, know our sins, and no, we cannot save ourselves from this corrupt and sinful generation. It is the one thing we can boast about in the Lord. It is the very means by which God redeemed the world. It is indeed the truth, the life, and the way back to God from whence we ran away from because of our sin. It's not foolish. It's glorious. Amen. Now may that peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.